Morning, everybody. Okay, are we all well? Okay, just uh, try to share a screen with you. Everybody got the... If you can't see it, just let me know. Okay. Good, good. Thank you. Okay, excellent. All right, let's have a uh, have a look at something interesting here. Um, our parsha this week is Parsha Kitavo, and um, it's um, it's famous for the huge list of of potential curses that Hashem threatens us with. Um, you know, following a set of brachot that Hashem promises us if we behave correctly. Uh, that's uh, one of the main sections of the whole um, parasha. Now, at the same time as this is being communicated to us in the actual parasha itself, the haftarah is taken from Isaiah, from Yeshayahu, and um, the you can see on the screen where my cursor is, this is an art scroll scan, scan of an art scroll, Tanakh, and it tells you here, haftarat kitavo, tells you where the Haftorah starts from. So this um, this particular Haftorah is one of the the, 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 the seven Haftorahs of comfort um, traveling from Tisha B'Av all the way through toward Rosh Hashanah. So um, this is a prophecy that Yeshayahu gives, which is a glorious prophecy. It's very positive. Um, as the as the seventh haftorah of comfort, which um, which gives us a beautiful uh, vision of what will happen at the end of days. So, the haftorah starts off here. You can see um, the haftorah starts off in the Hebrew. Kumi ori zarach. shan for your light has arrived, and the glory of Hashem shines upon you. For behold, darkness may cover the earth and a thick cloud may cover the kingdoms, but upon you Hashem will shine and his glory will be seen upon you. The other, the, the prophecy continues. It's really amazing. It says, uh, nations will walk by your light and kings by the brilliance of your shine. Lift up your eyes all around and see they are all assembling and coming to you. Your sons will arrive from afar and your daughters will be raised at their side. Then you, you will see and be radiant. Your heart will be startled and broadened, for the affluence of the West will be turned over to you, and the wealth of nations will come to you. So this is, um, this is an unbelievable prophecy, which uh, you know, is partially, uh, we, we sort of witness this every single time we come up with a technological breakthrough you know, we um, 
we start to see and you know everybody investing in the land of Israel um in our generation we see a a fulfillment of this prophecy like uh, almost like no other time in in history um and this is what uh, you know this is an amazing prophecy to to witness uh, but the verse that i want to um focus on is this pasuk via pasuk hey um once all the once so much investment has happened into Israel and people are looking to Israel for wisdom, as to even a heart, ufachad v'rachav levaveich. So um, yeah, the verse five. Then you will be. Then you will you will see, and be radiant. Your heart will be startled and broadened. Um, now in Hebrew. Um, your your heart will be uh, is scared uh, yeah they say startled um but really it means scared you have to work out what that means because it sounds like there's a, something negative over here um some sort of pachad, some sort of something to be afraid of um but at the same time and your uh, heart will also be broadened. So these two descriptions, these two metaphors, which talk about uh, Am Israel's reactions, you know, to this transition where uh, people start to recognize what's coming out of Israel, this needs to be explained how these two metaphors work together. So um, what I wanted to 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 share with you is a bit of history and an insight that was um, that this was used and, and and how this became such a political minefield uh, this you know this particular um, event that um, that this particular interpretation was was used uh, describing what was going to happen at the end of days you know where Am Israel were going to literally see people invest in the society. <clears throat> so let me just give you a bit of history, you know, from this, uh, you know, of this, of this particular, you know, event. So um, the history that, that becomes uh, interestingly political over here is as follows. And that is that in the early, uh, in the early decades of the development of, of Israel, we're going back now to the 20th century, right at the beginning. There was uh, there was a lot of politics going on uh, in every aspect of of, of Am Israel's return to to Israel, um, but in the religious world, there was there were two camps basically. Um, there was uh, the non-Zionist or anti-Zionist camp. Um, today, I guess you could uh, define it as somewhat the Haredi camp that was that was led by Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld, um, and then there was the the religious Zionist camp, uh, I guess the Mizrahi kind of camp, which was led by Rav Cook. Now there was always tension, just like you have today in the in the government there, you know, between the various groups all vying for, you know, they, they religiously they thought they were right, um, and you know many of the time it's for 
it's altruistic. People are arguing about what is the best path to take to develop the land of Israel and serve Hashem at the same time. All of that, you know, brings with it so many different opinions. But what's interesting is, is that unfortunately at the, you know, at, at the bottom of the pile of, of the various people that are fighting, you have people who just fight for the sake of fighting and they resort to all sorts of, um, you know, prop, you know, problematic behavior in order to, you know, for the good of their cause. And this is always what you have to be worried about in politics that, uh, you know, at the top, it might be a, it might be there altruistically, um, but you have to watch that it doesn't descend, you know, and, the, you know, the bottom, the bottom echelon, the bottom level of, 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 of intelligentsia, you know, don't just justify, you know, all means in, in, you know, for the sake of the ends. And so um, what happened over here was as follows, that Rav Cook was invited to, to give the opening or be part of giving uh, the opening address at the establishment or the inauguration of the Hebrew University. Now, um, it's interesting that the, uni the university itself, the foundation stone of the Hebrew University was already laid in, in 1918. Um, but it took seven years to build it and, uh, Eventually, the university was formally inaugurated on, on the 1st of April, 1925. It was like a week before Pesach, uh, that, that particular year. Um, and the ceremony was held in a, a large open-air theater on Mount Scopus, and uh, everybody was there. I mean, they give statistics of the amount of people that were there. It's actually quite, uh, you know, quite phenomenal to, uh, to read about it. Um, but essentially, you're talking... Uh, the future Israeli president, Dr. Chaim Weizmann, he was the one who presided over the whole service. And you had uh, representatives of, of, of numerous foreign governments and various scholars and Jewish dignitaries. So you had, um, you know, the chief rabbi of the British Commonwealth, Rabbi uh, Dr. Joseph uh, Hertz, you know, of the Hertz Chumash, he was there. And, uh, you know, from the from the British Foreign Secretary, the Lord Arthur Balfour was there, and that uh, the High Commissioner, Sir, you know, Herbert Samuel was there. Anyway, these were, this is what it was all like. You know, it's a very, story, you know, very prestigious story over here. Anyway, there were, they talk in terms of numbers, they talk about between six and 7,000 people attended the ceremony. Now, when you take it in terms of uh, relative statistics, you just got to consider that the population of Yerushalayim at the time was less than 60,000. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, in, in the end of the day, it's a lot of people uh, relative to the population of the place, right? So 10% uh, of the population is sitting at this uh, inauguration. So Rav Cook, he was the chief rabbi. He was invited to, the, to deliver, you know, to deliver an address. Now, the problem was is that uh, from Rav Cook's point of view, it was quite a delicate scenario because um, you're talking about the opening of the university and the nature of the people running the university, weren't, they weren't favorable to orthodoxy. To, to, so, you know, in terms of their, their hashkofa, their worldview, they weren't exactly, you know, the frumest minion in town. And so there was always trouble. There was a, how do you, 
how do you on the one hand not compromise your values um, at the same time trying to encourage the building up of the land of Israel, you know, from a secular perspective. And, you know, when they clash, it's really, really uh, difficult. And this was basically the problem. The problem was is that you had people criticizing any involvement in all of this because um, no one wanted to, uh, you know, give their seal of approval to a uh, to the opening of an institution which was going to produce heretics, you know, which was going to undermine Torah, which was going to, you know, uh, essentially create a, you know, a bit of intellectual, um, a, you know, attack against the traditional uh, way of, of living our lives. At the same time, you know, the ability to build up the land of Israel needed to attract intellects from all over the world and, and self-generate, you know, from within for the entire country. So there's a kind of a, it's quite sensitive an issue of how to, of how to work with this. And, um, this is why Rav Cook was in trouble here, because um, the you know the the so-called ultra-orthodox side, who, who always were you know were were fighting with Rav Cook because they couldn't digest somebody giving approval or working with uh, heretical attitudes. Uh, so this is why they viewed many of his colleagues viewed his attendance there as as treason, you know. So. Um, uh, this this is exactly why he was attacked, and the sad part about it was is that um, there was a there were people over there who were just waiting for Rav Cook to get involved in such a scenario, and and then spread the lotion horror about it that he you know that he um, he approved he approved of everything they were doing by going there he was a you know he approved of everything, and um, the 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 start of the the address that he gave. And if you look at the address, it's quite actually, you know, to me, it's an amazing, uh, amazing address by Rav Cook, um, because he was courageous of, uh, you know, by anybody's measure, because, you know, he's, he's in front of a theater full of enthusiastic supporters of this new endeavor, and he minces no words in expressing his true feelings regarding the Hebrew University and its place in the life of a revitalized Jewish Yeshuv in the land of Israel. Um, Anyway, the, you can look it up online if you want to read the whole, uh, you know, invocation there. But um, he uh, he had to tread very carefully over here, and that's why it was so courageous for him to to get involved. So the 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 first attack against Rav Cook was that, you know, he uh, he spoke he opened up or he spoke uh, to this uh, assembly, um, with you know, with, with uh, the famous verse that says, Kimi Hashem Mirushalayim. So, uh, you know, he, he applied this biblical verse um, and, uh, and ultimately people just jumped on this verse and wrote that Rav Cook thinks that, you know, the Hebrew University is as... Uh, as as as, as in the fulfillment of Kimitzion Taitzei Torah, you know, Udvarashem Yerushalayim, that the scholarship that was to come from the Hebrew University was a fulfillment of 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 prophets prophecy, you know, that Torah was coming was coming out, and this so uh, this was the first massive thing that uh, you know the people who published these articles um, 
said about him. And they sent they sent this all over the, the so-called Haredi world of the time. And um and and this was uh this this was a, the myth that caused so much political pain and turmoil because you know a rov sitting in Europe listening to what was going on here and um without trying to investigate what was happening, you know, it just you know fueled the fire against against Rav Cook. So um you know, but if you read the if you actually read the actual address that he gave, he, you know, it's true that he did paraphrase the word kimitzion, but he didn't apply it to the Hebrew University. So at the conclusion of his warning about the potential dangers of the university, he recited the following prayer. You know, he said that may we witness the joy of our nation, the rebuilding of our temple and, and our glory to which the nations shall stream in order to receive the Torah from Zion and the word from Yushalayim. You know, that's how he, you know, that's how he basically, the, that was his prayer at the end of the, of the whole speech. So his prayer was that the redem ultimate redemption would come speedily, you know, at that time and Torah should come forth from Yushalayim. So you're, you're simply concluding his speech with a standard bracha, you know, for the coming of Mashiach. And he was clearly applying the verse to the Torah that will issue from the Temple in Yerushalayim. Now, um, so and unfortunately, this is this is one of the major issues that um, that caused that caused political furor in in uh, among among people. Um, and uh, you know, sad as it was, it took a long, long time. You know, long, 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 long time, even into our modern era, to try and correct this lotion horror that was. Or the Motsi Shemra, the lies that were said about him, and 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 you know, and the effects of this whole, it was published. So you know, this is what the 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 people at the bottom of the pile, as I called them, you know, did in the, in the words of politics. So why I bring it up over here is because um, uh, there are a number of letters where there were there were one or two braver up on him. We actually contacted him. They said, "Listen, we've been told that this is what you said, um, and you know what, what what happened over here." So, anyway, bottom line is is that the you know the the attack against Rav Cook appeared in a first appeared in a journal, you know, called Beit Vad Chachamim, uh, and it appeared in 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 Romania in Satmar. Um, and ultimately, this is with the accusation, you know, you can appreciate where it's starting from. So Rav Cook wrote a, a letter to defend himself um, to uh, Rabbi Yosef uh, Mashash, you know, or Masas, however you pronounce it. It's a, 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 he was a rov in Algeria and um, eventually became, he later became the chief rabbi of Haifa. So uh, Rav Cook acknowledges in the letter to him that there were, he says that, look, what can you do? Slanderers are not uncommon, but expressed shock at how one could even suspect him of stating the verse in reference to a secular university. Anyway, nevertheless, the allegation con continued to spread. And literally it was, you know, only, you know, in, 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 or still in, when we were, when I was growing up in, in 1986, it, uh, it, it appeared in a Haredi newspaper and, um, uh, you know, one of the Rabonim who, uh, who was living in the religious, uh, you know, city of, of Kedumim, you know, spent uh, six months trying to get a retraction from the newspaper that published it. 
And eventually, a year later, you know, he um, he got he got the newspaper to to retract. So for decades, you're talking about, you know, from the late twenties all the way to the mid eighties, uh, this is the 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 tack that's always been repeated against against Rav Cook that he had got, you know, that he saw that the secular, you know, uh, wisdom coming out of uh, the the Hebrew University was that was the problem anyway this is um this was the background to to what uh, i wanted to share with you um because um if you now go to the actual um address of rav cook he, this is exactly what he used this haftorah that we looked at so we go back you know uh, go back to the 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 the, the the prophecy of Yeshayahu, this is this is what he this is what Rav Cook basically said. So he said like this. He said, okay, yeah, the, the beautiful prophecy talks of Amishrael being um you know building itself up, rejuvenating to the point where um you know that Hashem's light will shine upon us and nations will walk by your light and kings by the brilliance of your shine. Um lift up your eyes all around and see they're all assembling and coming to you. This is um, this is what's happening over here. So Rav Cook interpreted these verses in Shayao's prophecy as, um, as as starting to starting to be fulfilled. That all you know until now we've had 1900 years in the, in the exile, and uh, no one's talking about the Jewish people as being a light unto the nations. Um, all of a sudden, I'm Israel now back in their land, and this is even before the establishment of the state. But the fact there's a collective uh, of of people who are now starting to rejuvenate was uh, was was an amazing um, miracle to witness. Anyhow, Rav Cook was telling was telling the entire assembly over there. You know, he's got everybody who who sees the potential of his, of, of this Hebrew university as as the be all and end all. So he tells them as follows: He says there are there are there are two streams of wisdom that are going to develop and rejuvenate the people of Israel in the land of Israel. And the one is, is, is Torah. You know, he foresaw that uh, the, the excellence of Torah study, which had, um, you know, moved throughout the centuries from, from Babel to Europe, then, you know, stayed in Europe for, what a thousand years, let's call it, right? Uh, but but basically, within the last part of that thousand years, it moves to America, and then from America, it's going to move to Israel. Now, at the time, of course, America was more prominent in the amount of of great sages that it had compared to uh, to Israel. But this is what he foresaw. He said that that Torah is going to come back to the land of Israel. It's going to it's going to take time, but it'll be eventually it'll become the center of Torah study in the world, which, which today, you know, I'm speaking to ourselves today, it's a foregone conclusion. This is, we know now, where does everything happen? You know, it all happens in Israel. You know, we're the biggest yeshivas um, in Israel. You know, we're most of the, the major poskim in Israel. So it's, it's, it's come back, you know, all of the, from the days of uh, Am Yisrael, you know, in temple times where the temple represented the seat of the Jewish scholarship, it's now taken all those years. It took a while, 
but it's taken the 2,000 years to get back to get back to Israel. So he says that that's what's going to happen over here. Um, you know, Torah is going to come back to the land of Israel, and that is going to that is going to lead and rejuvenate the spirit of the, of the people of Israel. At the same time, he says that the prophecy tells you that uh, you know the affluent of affluence of the West will be turned over to you. And the wealth of the nations will will come to you. So um, over here, Rav Cook basically says that there's metaphor over here um, that um, that that nations will walk by your light is not only Torah. That there's a second stream um, that's coming in here. You know, nations will walk by your light may mean ethical values, but then there's a second phrase over here. You know that um, that that umlachim uh, lenoga zarchech. You know the the kings of the nations will walk also by the brilliance of your shine. So he interpreted the two different metaphors as a as as a as a prophecy that there will be a revolution within uh, the technological and scientific uh, know-how of on, on a secular level. Of the people of Israel, and the university is a representation of many others to come too. But it's a representation of the revitalization on this on the secular knowledge front, on 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 the scientific front, that's going to take place there as well. So this was his choice of uh, of verse to to, a sense, deal with this interesting challenge that he had. That on the one hand, he represented the Torah of Am Israel. Uh, and uncompromising commitment to it. On the other hand, he had to deal with this entire as the chief rabbi, but he, in general, even as a thinker who's looking at history in the making, he's looking at what's happening over here, that there's ten, you know, tens of thousands of people coming to be part of this, uh, this, 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 this institution, which is going to revitalize the, the, the intellectual capacity of the land of Israel. So, he, he uses the shine and the light to be metaphors of the two streams that are going to revitalize Amisol in the land of Israel. And the one is Torah and the other one is, is secular wisdom. And then he goes on to, to explain a, a, a really insightful point over here. And he says, the question that we started off our discussion with, his question is, how do you understand these two metaphors coming together? Where at a certain point, where Amisrael start to return and start to build both religiously and scientifically, as Tirihi Vinahart, you know, then you will see and be radiant. And the, you know, your heart will be broadened, but it'll also be full of fear. This is Ufahad Virachav. Fahad it'll be full of fear, Virachav broadened. So Rav Cook explained as follows. He said. There are two. There, there are two streams of. Uh, there are two streams of, of, of building up of the land. There's, there's the Torah and there's the secular knowledge. But he says when it comes to Torah coming to town and you bringing the yeshivas and he made it. A, he made a plea for all the Russia yeshiva to move to Eretz Israel, etc. He says, okay, so what's going to come? The information that's coming with the great rebuilding of the yeshivot of Europe. He says the knowledge over there. You know, uh, by and large, is 
is high quality knowledge from a religious, philosophical, from a value point of view. And, and therefore it's, you know, culturally, there's, there's, no, there's no major danger. There's no major danger, you know, in, in, in the yeshivas coming to Eretz Israel. You're basically bringing the very study of the values that keep us going. And so therefore, the yeshivas coming to the land of Israel is v'rachav levaveich. You know, your, your, your horizons will be broadened. You know, your heart will be broadened. All of a sudden, people will become reconnected to their, their tradition, uh, uh, to their traditions again. And therefore, that's the metaphor that describes v'rachav levaveich. He says, but the secular wisdom that's going to come flying into the land of Israel is, 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 is much more worrisome because secular wisdom is not Torah. And therefore, you know, you've always, you're always going to have, you're always going to have a, um, a challenge how to filter the secular wisdom through a religious prism so that the secular knowledge doesn't take you away from Hashem but it enhances your commitment to, to Torah. And so therefore, the, the inauguration of this university, said Rav Cook, is a scary thought. It's scary because there's potential good, but there's also a major amount of, uh, you know, of potential evil over here. And, um, and therefore, there's problems. There's, there's, you know, it's, it's not simple to, to witness how all of this is going to... Um, uh, all of this is actually going to play out in the end because, you know, it's it's up to us and it's quite scary. So this is what Rav Cook essentially did over here. He um, he, he spoke to this particular conundrum of how, um, you know, it's a, it's a courageous speech because he's, you know, it's de delivered with such foresight. And, uh, you know, he notes these two historical trends, intellectual trends in Yiddishkeit, you know, the Torah trend is much more insular, focusing on, 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 on what is kadosh, on what is sacred. Um, and, you know, it, uh, you know it, it, it's, it's protected. And this, you know, this approach was advocated by Yeshivot throughout the centuries. And the second trend is, is much, a much more porous approach that accepts the notion of importing and exporting foreign ideas. And proponents of this latter approach are willing to, um, you know, are they willing to share Torah with the outside world, serving as a light into the nations and, uh, and absorbing external ideas into the Jewish nation? But by means of the second approach, like the Hebrew University could serve as a, a useful uh, function. But the approach also engenders trepidation because in hindsight, it's clear that for those who drew upon who drew upon it in the past, unhesitatingly embraced foreign ideas, and very few Jewish descendants remain since they long ago assimilated among the nations. So this is the problem. This is the, the kind of contradictory set of metaphors. You know, so, um, you know, on the other hand, most of those participating in the building of the Jewish land are descended from Jews who embraced, you know, the first approach. Um, so he said, Rav Cook basically said that uh, he warned that the Hebrew University can play only a small part in the Jewish community's educational needs, and it must be regarded with apprehension and fear. The main source of education will and must come from traditional yeshivot. This is what he said. 
And therefore, you know, he, he, he continued, he charged the Hebrew University to maintain certain standards so that it would help bring about a Kiddush Hashem and not, God forbid, a Chivah Hashem. So um, this was the, the amazing speech that he gave where he showed an incredible amount of courage because, number one, politically it was a minefield, and number two, um, um, religiously and philosophically from his own point of view and from his whole Weltanschauung, his whole worldview, this was a real, uh, this was a real story. So um, anyway, this was, this was the, this was part and parcel of the politics and how, and how this, uh, you know, this, this sort of went, um, you know, became such an issue. This uh, probably, uh, I don't know enough to say it with uh, confidence, but probably this was the straw that broke the camel's back and never allowed for a real a healthy working relationship between, you know, the two camps. Uh, this this was, you know, it was it was, the, the fires that came out of this was uh, was 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 tremendous, and so um, you know, and 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 the backstory, you know, the the backstory behind of Cooks trying to work away why he would actually even go to the inauguration, and and this most people were unaware of this particular backstory. And that, you know, um, Rav Cook, uh, you know, Rav Cook agreed to, to attend on a condition. In exchange for his attending the event, Rav Cook had extracted a pledge from, from Dr. Chaim Weizmann, who was the founding father of the Hebrew University, that the one department is not allowed to be in the university. And that is the biblical criticism department. That, and, you know, that Bible criticism which was the, the biggest academic secular assault on, on the legitimacy of the actual Tanakh, that that would not be included in the curriculum of the, of the university. And this was the basic, you know, this was in a sense what he tried to get out in a deal that he made with, uh, with, the, Hebrew, with the Hebrew university. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, he gave this particular, you know, speech. So the sad part about it is how, you know, what was shocking about it is how these facts were distorted and uh, were given to as a misrepresentation and uh, used to besmirch Rav Cook's uh, reputation, you know. Um, and everybody condemned him, you know, in the religious world, everybody condemned him, with, with, you know, for it without knowing the actual facts and without investigating what, um, what the real story was, you know. Um, but um, anyway, this was, uh, you know, this was a, a, a sad reality. In fact, um, you know, there's a, there's a watcher called, there was a book, a three-volume book, I think, that was, um, that was, that was published about the, the unique personality, the holy Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld, who led the, the Haredi community. Um, and the, the book, I read the book, it, was, it condemns the actual inauguration and, and it perpetuates that um, Rav Cook opened his remarks, you know, with Kimitsion Tatetara, and, uh, you know, and they don't, but they don't explain, no explanation is given, and it leaves you with a full, mis you know, misrepresentation that he applied the verse to the actual Hebrew University. Um, but, uh, you know, and, but they do quote some of his actual remarks, but it's hard to read them, meaning like they're in very small print at the end, you know. Um, even, you know, even the Holy Chofetz Chaim, uh, his a letter was reprinted 
you know, him condemning the new university and those who view it as a substitute for the third Beit Amigdash, you know, and the assumption is, is that he heard via this, you know, via the, the, via the grapevine that, um, that, that this is what Cook had said, which was unfortunately not, uh, you know, not, um, not true. So, uh, Anyway, people have now, uh, you know, republished his his speech, you know, um, to try and give give people uh, a, a different, uh, you know, a different approach to to what really actually happened over there. So um, anyway, this was the this was the problem. Um, but the chidush that was that was more interesting to me was how how he interpreted these particular in this week's Torah, how Rav Cook actually. Um, how he actually, you know, explained this contradictory set of metaphors in the prophecy of, of Yeshayahu. And specifically, it comes to light because we read it this Shabbos as, as the Haftorah. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, to many of us, it'll be an incredibly comforting prophecy to, to watch unfold. I mean, who would have ever thought that such a thing could happen? Uh, that, um, you know, that... Uh, that that the what you call that the the prophecy would would almost you know would just literally we see it. I mean, how many billions of dollars are poured into investment in the in Israel's you know high tech um, uh, infrastructure and 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 know how it's just phenomenal and and what I mean Israel's been able to generate on that level to improve uh, you know the situation of people the the world over. You know we get hammered for it. No. No good deed goes unpunished, and we are, you know, we we witness the resurgence of anti-Semitism on a level that that those of us who grew up after the Shoah have never seen before. But um, but gee, it's like an unbelievable thing to watch this this um, this prophecy unfold, and hopefully the the beautiful parts of it will uh, will outshine, you know, the negativity of of what happens because in the end of the day. You know the Hebrew University, from a from a Kiddush Hashem point of view, has not exactly lived up to its, uh, you know, you know, to its to its uh, potential in this regard. And that's saying the least, you know. But at least at the same time, you know, the, the university generates, of course, high intellectual output, which you know definitely does contribute to the building up of the state. So, um, you know, Rav Cook was was was, was spot on in that regard. Politically, it was a nightmare. It was a minefield. But to see the university as 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 a means to an end, you know, a vocational school of sorts. But the true goal was always uh, the study of Torah. So, um, you know, it's uh, and Rav Cook was aware of what happened. You know, um, and uh, he, you know, he tried to defend himself, and and people who asked, you know, got got a letter from him, which. Uh, explained it you know that um that that uh anyway this was the the basic story so anyway he was he was clear that the university was only gonna uh you know provide secular tools for building up the land of israel but the foundations of of the jewish nation um comes from the holy ideals you know of of the torah so um anyway that was what he tried to uh you know um he, he tried to defend it. And in fact, there was apparently, there was, um, 
there was that there was a rov um, who I think um, had a connection to South Africa, um, Rav Yechiel Michal Kosovsky of Lithuania. But this is, I think, is he, I think Yechiel Michal that we knew who was active in in the in the fifties, forties and fifties in South Africa. I think he he died unfortunately very young. But I know my father, my, my parents learned with him. Um, he was named after his grandfather, you know, but there was a, a letter already sent to him in, in 1927. And um, basically that uh, he, they heard of a, um, there was a kind of a plaque that was put up in one of the shuls of, in Rabbi Kosovsky's town that, that the, you know, the, the plaque related the verse from Yushayahu to the university. So you see that people, you know, took it, uh, you know, it took it to a new level. And uh, the real facts were that um, there were people who, who applied that verse to the university, but it wasn't Barav Cook. There was, you know, there was a professor there, Abraham Buchla, um, who's, you know, quoted, quoted in the Encyclopedia Judaica. He was a principal of Jews College in London. Um, anyway, bottom line is there were a number of people you know, conservative Rabbonim in Brooklyn who applied the verse. But this this is part of the whole series of misconceptions over here that, um, that you know, that, that they use it for political ends, religious political ends. And, uh, and this was the, this is the sad story. But um, I think it's always, uh, it's always a good opportunity to number one, share the, the beautiful Chidush of Rakuk and to try and, uh, you know, set set history straight, or the way it was, uh, you know, the way it's been um, understood, just to put things in perspective, uh, to at least uh, defend uh, the Holy Rav Cook's um, legacy. So, uh, yeah, so that's the that's the story. So, um, I'll uh, I'll leave you with that, and uh, hope hopefully this. Um, you know this this beautiful prophecy will eventually feel will will realize full realization, and um, you know we uh, we wish everybody here in the exile and in the and in and in Eretz Yisrael Shana Tova of a Kiddush Hashem sort, and so yeah, hopefully that's where it'll get us to. So I'll leave you there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank okay. You. Thank okay. You. Okay. All the best. All the best. Thank yes. you. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.